Welcome back to another episode of Forecast F1, the jewel in a crown. How bright was that jewel this weekend, Samantha? <laughs> well, on Sunday, I mean, skies were a little gray, as we'll, we'll obviously talk about, but it was pretty bright. It was an exciting weekend. It was. And yeah, you mentioned Sunday, but uh, Saturday was just brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, the, the whole weekend was just uh, really, really exciting. I would say that that qualifying session was probably the best, in my opinion, the most exciting qualifying session of the season so far. Yeah, well, it was one of the best qualifying sessions I've ever seen. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it was it was really, really good. Do you want to talk a little bit about the track, uh, Samantha? Although I, I think it's one of the few tracks where there's not much to talk about changes, but uh, but go ahead. Yeah, I guess I'll get into a few things when it comes to the track. So there are three sectors. There's only one DRS zone, and it is the shortest track of the season. They also resurfaced it, I think, about a month ago. So that's interesting. And, I mean, Monaco itself, it's it's an iconic racetrack. There is so many memories in Monaco. So I think that in itself sets the tone for the weekend. Yeah, I think uh, it, it's a track that's been debated a lot over whether it actually suits current Formula One-like cars. But I don't know. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that discussion. But, uh, well, to just give my two cents, I think that it is. it does happen to be a parade quite a lot of the times. But then again, you know... I think you just got to have you got to have Monaco on the calendar and you should just try to avoid to have more parades. I think one of them is 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 good to have during the year. I mean, of course you would like to see a good race and and we did get to see a good race. Uh, that's not always the case, but uh, but it does mean that the Saturday is just well, I mean, it it can be otherwise like we've seen last year, but uh, but there's a big climax there. And yeah, uh, it's it's a great track. What do you what do you think about having Monaco on the calendar, Sam? I think it absolutely should be a part of the calendar because it has number one. It's a wealth of memories. It's 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 a it's such a huge element to the history of Formula One in itself that to not have it as a part of the calendar, I think you would lose part of the integrity of what Formula One is all about and. So it is, although yes, it is a slower track, it's one where there's not a lot of room to have overtaking. Again, the essence of what a weekend in Monaco is all about really is something that I think always needs to be a part of every season. Yeah, the setup of the cars need to be that much different compared to other tracks, which I think is also a good thing to have. I mean, you do need to have some sort of variation on the calendar. The tracks can't all just be the same. So it's actually good to have this far outlier where everybody needs to go full down for setup and i think it's 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 fun to have something like that on the calendar because you already see now of course with with imola being cancelled a lot of teams who wanted to bring updates to the first european cal track on the calendar uh, now doubting whether to do that on monaco yes or not i think that brings an element of of yeah, uh, I mean, it, it makes it l just that much more unpredictable, which is good because if everything is is easy to predict, that that would not be that would not be cool either, would it? A hundred percent. I mean, it's. In, I'm glad you brought up the upgrades because we were talking about upgrades, and Mercedes was expected to bring a significant amount of upgrades into Imola, and they ended up 
having to bring it to Monaco, which like you said, is not a track that you would be able to really utilize, uh, at least with the upgrades that they have really be able to see what they're capable of with it. But it is interesting to mention those upgrades that they had. They had uh, new side pods, front suspension, and a floor. I think I think the most significant upgrades for Mercedes going into this weekend was the front suspension and the side pods. Uh, definitely, the side pods look entirely different from the uh, from the first beginning of this season. And Ferrari and Alpine also came in with some upgrades going into Monaco. Yeah, side pods to begin with, because there weren't much at it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there wasn't much to begin with. No, there wasn't the much at all. Season. No, but uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think the team will probably still be a little bit in doubt whether, because I think it's difficult to really test that out on Monaco. I mean, you can see how it does, but you don't have much to compare it with. Uh, perhaps to some of the slow sectors in Baku, I think you can compare the previous car the previous no sideboard car to the current race in, in Monaco. But uh, I think it'll be interesting to see also on uh, on a track like Barcelona next weekend. I don't, I don't want to go too much into the future, but of course, that's a track where a lot of testing is being done regularly, where teams will have a little bit more uh, of an idea how it relates to, let's say, a more general, more regular uh, racing track. But anyway, yeah. So um, so those were the the updates that you mentioned. And, um, and uh, well, uh, let's go into qualifying. Yeah, actually, one thing I'll say, one other update I just want to make mention to, because I wish they would keep this livery for the rest of the season, is the McLaren livery for this weekend, the Triple Crown. I really, really liked it. <laughs> oh, it's, it was gorgeous. I admired that. Gorgeous. Yeah, 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 yeah. I really loved it. Loved it. I really do hope, well, I don't know why I'm saying hope because that's not in the cards, but I really wish that they would keep a livery like that for the rest of the season. It's kind of funny because if you look at it, the change of the livery from last year to this year was anticipated to be a little bit more of a change than, and not just for McLaren, I think in general with a lot of the liveries, there was some disappointment and you can see, I mean, if I look around the other comments on this McLaren livery. I mean, I think everybody loved it. So it's funny that the teams don't do much more with that. I mean, of course, you, you saw the the Red Bull livery being different for Miami. But then again, they also hardly change the livery from year to year. But again, let's skip the livery talk because <laughs> <laughs> I think we want to talk about the Monaco race, don't we? Yeah, let's get into qualifying. Like we said, one of the most exciting qualifyings that we've ever seen. So definitely looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, it was it was it was great. Uh, I think we all know that Monaco is more about qualifying than the race. So I was hoping that it would be good, but I, I would have never hoped it would be this good. Yeah, and and actually, before we even touch on it, just to elaborate a little bit on that, the reason why qualifying is so crucial is because of the fact that there's little to no room to overtake. So essentially where you finish in qualifying is paramount going into the race. And so I think that, yeah, that also adds an extra element of excitement leading into this weekend because you know the amount of pressure that's on these drivers when it comes to Saturday. So I think the qualifying session 
started out with a pretty quick hit from Paris into the wall. Uh, that was quite, sure uh, yeah, that was quite, uh, well, what did, what did you make of it? Well, I think that, I mean, he, he crashed last year, but this time it was, it wasn't in Q3 after he had done a monster lap. It was unfortunately in the beginning of Q1. So that impacted him. But I think he, he obviously was just take going with way too much speed into the entry of, uh, of that chicane and, you know, the rear just couldn't keep up. So unfortunately for him, that was too much. He was, he was done for qualifying and for Red Bull itself, one driver out, because again, like we mentioned, when it comes to qualifying, it's paramount where you're positioned. So for him, now he was starting Sunday's race at the back of the grid. Yeah, it was basically uh, a Red Bull sandwich, wasn't it? Um, I guess you could look at it like that, yeah. <laughs> Red Bull sandwich. <laughs> yeah, I think what was, um, I don't know, let's look at Q1 a little bit. I think what was, um, it was... Nice to see Piastri just making it out of um, of Q1. He actually he he didn't have a bad qualifying, but he just made it out at the expense of uh, of Sargent, I think it was. And um, yeah, Sargent was a bit unlucky, and he didn't have uh, he didn't have a great weekend at all. But yeah, out of uh, Q3, we didn't have we didn't see Joe into Q2. Hulkenberg and Magnussen, the two Haas drivers, didn't make it into Q2. And like I said, Logan Logan Sargent also failed to qualify for Q2. I mean, when you look at it, all the rookies were unable to get into Q1 and some of them, yes, managed to get into Q2. I think Looking at Monaco, we know there's zero room for error. It's an extremely uh, demanding track. It is incredibly technical and so for a rookie to be able to do well on a track like this is quite impressive so yeah for piastri i think it was it was an it was a very decent qualifying and even for devries as well who's been struggling throughout the season to manage to get into q2 was was definitely well done what did you think about yuki yeah i mean yuki i think was it was q3 right where yuki was P2 yeah he got and album was yeah but no, I sorry, I'm I'm messing it up. I meant in Q1 oh, it was it was yes. Tenoda who set that P2 time and Albon set a P3 time, right? I think that was yes, yes. that was shocking because I, I I thought like you said the Vries did a good job, but uh, again that was overshadowed a little bit by the performance of Yuki which was uh, which was really really good. Yeah, and then it seemed like he was having an issue in uh, in Q2 with his brakes. I think he locked up there and it, and it kind of threw him off. But he he did when I saw him go up to the top in the very first qualifying session, I was so excited to see that because again, you know that anything's possible depending on where people position going into Monaco and he's been doing really well this season. So, I didn't expect him though to get up that high. I didn't. So it was definitely a pleasant surprise. It was. It was. It was a very good performance, and also uh, seeing Albon do that well in Q1. It was a shame he didn't make it into Q3. He got stuck in Q2, and then he qualified P13. But uh, to see him up there in Q1 was kind of surprising because you would say that that Williams, well, if you look at different track layouts and their top speed that they have, but being so bad in slow corners, you wouldn't expect them to do well in Monaco. So that was kind of like a surprising start of, of the qualifying session. But in the end, he, he didn't make it much further than Q2. 
but uh, but who did make it to Q3 was uh, was Lando, which um, I think he does like the Monaco track. He usually uh, sets pretty good times there in qualifying. I think he, well, I wasn't expecting a McLaren to make it to Q3. Did you? You know, I was going into this weekend optimistic because I feel like with the upgrades, they still have yet to really, we, we haven't really had much time to really see what those upgrades, the potential that they have put into the car and going into practices, he was doing really, really well uh, during practice. So I was hopeful that he was maybe going to get into Q3. I was really happy to see that he did and he seemed to be doing really well. This track obviously favors him was two years ago that I believe he uh, came in third. He managed to get on the podium, which was quite impressive. So again, practice, he was doing really well. Going into qualifying, I was hopeful. It was unfortunate, though, I will say that he, I I feel like he could have finished obviously higher than he did, but during qualifying, he had that incident where he hit the barrier coming out of the chicane. I believe it it looked like it was an understeer. So, Could he have potentially finished higher? I think so. I mean, we may have seen him crack the P5, P6 possibly. But I I still think that it was a solid result for McLaren overall, given the history of the season so far. Agreed. Yeah, I think uh, they were... He managed to go out for a run in Q3, but um, and it was actually quite impressive that they managed to set up the car for him to to be to even be able to compete in P in Q3, but um, but uh, I think Q3 we <laughs> focus a little bit more on some of the other drivers because uh, what did you make of that battle for for getting pole? I mean that was that was wow. a real climax, wasn't it? It was unbelievable. I was on the edge of my seat and. I I felt like I knew I and then it was just one after the other after the other. So I guess I guess we'll just talk a little bit about that and and what exactly we mean by that. Um, so to describe it basically, in Q3, at first we were completely surprised by Ocon taking pole. Yeah, that that was a surprise in itself. So you're already looking at it, going, "What is happening?" And then the very next. Uh, driver to cross was Leclerc who replaced Ocon and that was obviously exciting for a variety of reasons and shortly after that it was Alonso who then took pole position so it was one after the other after the other but I think the most impressive thing that happened after that was Verstappen then securing pole after Alonso and the reason why is is simply because if you go back and you see that actual qualifying session Verstappen was struggling through the first two sectors of that final lap. So he was actually behind Alonso. It wasn't until the last two turns in that final sector where he somehow was able to maximize and just squeeze the most that he could out of the car to overtake and end up securing pole. That in itself is incredibly impressive. I mean, the pressure that you have in that situation to be able to do that on a track like Monaco, it's remarkable. True. I think that, um, well, Alonso also didn't have a very great last sector. So um, it, it he did have very good first two sectors. So Max was struggling, but um, but Alonso also left a little bit of room to yeah, have somebody else improve. I think if you, I don't have the, the real sector times here, but I think Ocon 
only was a thousandth of a, of a second slower than Verstappen in that third sector. So I think it, it also had to do a lot with Alonso just not having such a good third sector and, and of course, having very good first uh, first two sectors. And, uh, well, I'm not going to lie, I would have liked to see uh, Max start from the fifth uh, position <laughs> during this race or, or let's say, fourth because of uh, Leclerc also getting a, a penalty, which I guess we're going to come to next. But... Um, but yeah, in the end, it was a it was a it was a superhuman lap from Verstappen. I think he he really, like you said, under pressure. I think he does have the car to do it, and we all expected him. Although I don't know, it wasn't even one hundred percent clear to me that when Alonso set that lap, that Verstappen was still uh, managing to to do another flyer. Um, I wasn't one hundred percent sure at first, and I think. A lot of people were already celebrating Alonso's so-called pull, but it wasn't to be. And and in the end, you know, you gotta you gotta give credits when they're due. Well, Verstappen had also hit the barrier, I believe, in his previous attempt. And so uh, you're right. I mean, I was thinking about it, wondering if he was going to really be able to maximize after he had he had kissed the barriers there or kissed the wall. So. The fact that he managed to do that, again, is impressive. But I think all in all, as a whole, when you're looking at those top five drivers and how short the gap was in qualifying with all with all five of them and how, uh, or I should say, my apologies, I should say all four of them and how quickly it was, it just so happened to be where one secured pole, then it was the next and the next and the next. It just, it just heightens the intensity of qualifying again you go back to the situation that you know that it matters so much where people where a driver is positioned so to have it happen in sequence like that was really really cool yeah true i think the, the in the end the first eight positions there was just about six hundreds of a second in between them it was all it was all very very close and uh, what did you think of um, leclerc getting that penalty for blocking lando in the tunnel Ouch. That was my first thought. <laughs> right. Um, it was painful to see because from where I sit, it looked like it was the largest issue with that situation was more so a communication error. He was in the tunnel. I, I feel like he should have been notified by his team that Lando was coming up behind him so that he was able to move away from the racing line. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And he suffered a, a a place penalty, a three-place penalty, which for some reason for Leclerc, it always seems like when it comes to Monaco, he just has unfortunate luck. He really does. Yeah, you're right. There was a lack of communication, but I also think it's not fair to just put it on, on Xavi, on his race engineer, because, you know, when you look at that onboard and, and, and listen to the onboard radio of Leclerc, he just set the lap where he was, uh, I think, he just realized that he was P2 because at that point Verstappen hadn't set his lap yet. So he was just behind Alonso and he was just very pissed off and not really paying much attention on his surroundings. So he entered into the tunnel and I think he was quite like, he was he was not on the racing, well, you know, within the tunnel there's a little bit of a slight corner right towards the right. And he was quite on the middle of the road there. Should have been more towards the left. 
shouldn't have slowed down as much as he did. I don't think that's a good thing to do in that tunnel because there's very little vision over there. So, yeah, he should definitely have been notified. But uh, I also thought it wasn't the best example of, of, of driving and, um, and, and keeping the track clear for somebody that's setting a flyer. So I, I think in the end, both of us, regardless of whose fault it is, we agree that the, the th three place grip penalty was uh, a fair punishment for, for what happened. Yeah, I, I do think that he it, it was a fair punishment, um, and I do agree. I think that he also plays a part in that grid penalty um, or third three place penalty. But it's it's just unfortunate to see all together, right? Because sure. going into this weekend and with the history of Leclerc and and the unfortunate situations that continue to happen, and and no nobody to blame, just just simply the fact that there are unfortunate situations at the end of the day that have consistently happened for him. There is a little bit of hope that maybe something will turn around. So once he received that, you know, that it's, that it's going to be incredibly difficult for him to actually secure his first win in his home of Monaco. Seems like he's not the only one who's having bad luck. His brother doesn't have much luck <laughs> in his, in yeah, his hometown he had, either. Yeah. He had a tough weekend too, didn't he? Yeah, for sure. So with Leclerc getting pushed down, that meant that Ocon was actually starting P3 on the on the second line. Right, right. Yeah, that's really exciting. And you also have both Mercedes, Hamilton and Russell, starting in P4 and P5, just ahead of Leclerc. So I guess let's get into talking about the race. Anton, let's first talk about the first part of the race where there was no rain. <laughs> so why don't you start? Tell us a little bit about some of the things that you picked up on, on the at the beginning of the race itself. At the very beginning, I was surprised that Perez was starting on mediums. I would have thought he would either go for hards, sit it out until the end, or start on softs. So that was a bit of a surprise. And uh, I think I think only Joe started on 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 softs and then bit it on the first lap or after the first lap and and so did Perez and Hulkenberg. They both mm -hmm. uh, pitted from their mediums onto the hards after mm -hmm. one lap. So mm, the beginning of the race well, was yeah no go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say um, just a question about strategy when it comes to Perez because what I thought I thought the same thing as you, but then I thought to myself. I, I was listening to Horner getting interviewed prior to the race, and he was talking about how important it was for them to try to get Perez into a position where he had clean air. And so I wonder if that was the strategy all along, was to start him on mediums to then pit after the first lap so that they can dump him out in clean air on hards with an opportunity to kind of run the rest of the race, at least as much as they would let hope to, to see if that's going to make a difference in in uh, in moving up the grid. But if you're going to pit him after one lap, why put him on mediums? Why not put him on softs? He might overtake someone at the start. Possibly, that's true. It, it's a very valid point. I don't know. <laughs> but it was a thought <laughs> when I saw it happen. I thought, well, maybe, maybe this was a part of their strategy. I don't know. Because either way, to pit after the first lap, and I don't think that he suffered any damage during the first lap, from uh hold on who was it that, that got into it was stroll it was that got into, stroll. into yeah, yeah, yeah. touching people left and right well mostly sergeant on, on his left side he tried to 
I don't know, he got in between the wall and Sargent twice. Like, first time, he actually, like, it hit his tire. And then the second time, it, it was a slight touch on his, on his front wing, I think. That was, a very, that was a very clumsy start from Stroll. Where, actually, Stroll's usually pretty, pretty strong during the starts. I mean, he usually has good starts. Yeah. So, he didn't suffer any damage, I believe, coming out of that. So, the question would be whether or not they, they intended to do that strategically or whether or not they just decided right away, okay, mediums aren't the way to go, let's let's switch to hards. Uh, but I guess maybe we'll find out at some point, maybe we never will. <laughs> yeah, at least a good thing for, for Perez was that when he made that pit stop, he got out just in front of, of, of Joe and Hülkenberg, which gave him a little bit of, of, of air. Um, well, that didn't last very long either, because I think it was, he got stuck then behind Magnussen. But... Um, yeah, I think uh, other than that, the first uh, 10 or so laps were relatively uneventful until uh, until Sainz got out of the tunnel and um, and <laughs> Ocon was uh, all of a sudden very, very close to him. He definitely was. And, and you heard on the radio Sainz talking about the fact that he was going to apply pressure onto Ocon and then it was just right after that that he ended up damaging his front wing at the expense of Ocon's rear end. So, yeah, I was I, I was thinking that maybe they were going to uh, possibly call a virtual safety car or something to clear the debris. They didn't. In fact, I'm kind of happy that they didn't uh, to, to some extent. But he ran a very long portion of that race with that damaged front wing. Yeah, I think the, the part that fell off, uh, I think Hamilton hit it, dro drove over it. He did, and and, yep. and I think that probably pushed it off the track. So that was that made it unnecessary to to call a safety car because yeah, usually if you have like a front end plate playing on the track, you would. But what I was surprised of was that it didn't result into a penalty because if I'm completely honest, I think it should have been a penalty. I think if you look at you know. Stewards are not supposed to look at the actual outcome of somebody touching somebody else. I mean, it, it's supposed to be just the action of, of, of doing so. And if, if it, it could have been very different. Ocon could have had a puncture and his race could have been over. And I think it was 100% signs his mistake. And I know that signs had a penalty. When was that? In, uh, in Australia when he was crying over the radio and everything. Uh, or in Baku. Sorry. Um, no, when was that? It was Australia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Probably not. But um, I'm sure he would have come on the radio and cried again. But to be really, really honest with you, I think that should have been a penalty. Yeah, it definitely would have pause as to as to whether or not a penalty should have been handled handed out to him. I think that overall, for signs, the entire race to sum it up in one word, would have been frustrating. You saw that incident. He was expressing his frustration and his uh, he was not happy with his team over some decisions that they were making, such as pitting him um, and then him still staying behind Ocon. There was a few moments where the team itself would come on the radio and say that they were going to, <laughs> they were going to pit to overtake Ocon, and then they would say, you know, forget it. And obviously it was a bluff. They did it twice. And 
So you do have to question some of this strategy that was involved as well when it came to his race. And I think overall it was it was definitely a challenging drive for him. To me, I feel like even with that move on Ocon, there was a overwhelming sense of panic or just maybe he he was he's struggling with the pressure during the race itself because even hearing his voice on the radio and he's he's trying to make moves that you that are a little bit more uncharacteristic of him he's taking a lot more risks but not in a strategic sense in some degree so i wonder if being in the position that he's in he's had a few challenges over the last few races and if maybe it's wearing on him and it's translating into his race overall in Monaco. But the bluffs were weird because he was on he was on hards and Ocon was on started on mediums and I don't know. Yeah. It just it was it was I know that uh, Ferraris have relatively high tire degradation, but uh, but it was just I don't know. It, it's it looked very very clumsy to me. And uh, yes. yeah, I think uh, giving frustration as a key word that sums it all up. So <laughs> I think uh, not only during the dry part of the race, but also during the wet part of the race, uh, he seemed to slip a lot and he seemed to, well, he also slipped into one of the runoff areas, but he was slipping constantly. Um, I think, yeah, all in all, extremely frustrating for him to, um, I don't know, to want so much more, but to not be able to really grasp that. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, so... Talking about drivers who had had a challenging Sunday, what about Stroll? Yeah, that was a challenge. It definitely was. Uh, like we mentioned, Talk about risky start, moves. <laughs> yeah, that too. No, and the start of the race, he, yeah, he had a bad start. He, um, I think it was. Um, well, I mean, it wasn't all his fault. At a certain point. Um, Perez also tried to overtake him. That was when um, when Verstappen was lapping him for the first time and he was trying to stay in Verstappen's gearbox and pass the train that was in front of them. And um, Verstappen passed Stroll. Stroll had to you know, let Verstappen pass because he was lapping him. Of course, he didn't have to let Perez pass. And uh, we all know that there's not too much overtaking space in Monaco. So let alone having two cars overtake yourself. I think that was only possible with Sargent most of the time, but uh, but but yes, uh, Perez overtaking Stroll at that point was uh, was just a little bit too much. They touched wheels, and um, yeah, I think it was uh, it was understandable that Stroll also didn't give him that much space. It was also understandable, on the other hand, that Perez tried to take the opportunity because he was getting frustrated there at the back too. But um, yeah, that was uh, well, and then later. Perez also tapped into the back of Magnussen, although your question to me was initially on how Stroll's race was, so let me not digress too much. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, it was, it was, um, and in the end, uh, Stroll had to, I think he, he pitted for the Inters when it started raining and, uh, and, and his race was over pretty soon after that. But uh, yeah, I think it must have been frustrating to see Alonso drive there at the top, but yeah. Um, Again, it was partly his own doing for not qualifying uh, very well. So, um, yeah, understandably frustrating. But um, just to round it off, I, I think Monaco is a track where the skills of a driver really show. And um, and, and and in the end, there's a there's somewhat a 
a difference between Alonso and Stroll, and 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 it it gets expressed pretty well in a track like this. Well, in qualifying too, I believe he hit debris during Q2 that affected his car. Um, but I, I I do think that obviously there is a lot more experience. There's a wealth of experience behind Alonso. Alonso's just in a class of his own. For most drivers that would have to be the second driver batting against Alonso, it would be a tough. It would definitely be a tough position to be in, and. I think you're right. He had a few unfortunate circumstances that he had a puncture in the first lap where he had to pit. And but at the same time, yes, he I think he made a but few moves. But he didn't pit that, in the end. He 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 was talking about a puncture on the radio, but he never did pit. He was just slow. I thought he did pit. No, oh, no, he didn't. okay. He really didn't. Well, that's my mistake then. Um, but I do think that overall, he had a few moments that were beyond his control. But he also had a few overtake attempts that definitely were risky and were questionable on a track like Monaco in, in places themselves where you wouldn't necessarily be overtaking. Yeah. And then um, towards, when was it? Lap, a little after lap 50, 51, some clouds started to form. I guess they were already forming, but they started to, uh, yeah, to dangle over the track. The rain started to come. And what, in, what a wild element to add as well, because that rain only covered a portion of the track and not to mention the fact that it came down very, very quickly. So actually one other thing to mention is, is that it just so happened that this weekend was where Pirelli had introduced the new wet tire as well. So we were able to see that go into effect where it's a, it's a new tire that doesn't require the tire blankets. Right. They're not allowed to, uh, to preheat them. It's true. That's right. But I guess touching on just the weather itself, it seemed to land on a specific area of the track where uh, the the rain itself was developing quite quickly and, and everybody itself was on either hards or mediums. So at this point, especially for the top five drivers, they hadn't pitted yet. So their tire degradation was already at a very weak point. So it was a nail biter. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I think um, there was a couple of things that went uh, it was quite chaotic, and there were a couple of things that went well, slightly sour. I think I still don't understand why Aston Martin got Alonso to change for mediums. Like he was on the hards, and he went in, and I guess, well, at that point, a couple of other drivers had already gone on to Inters taking the gas and I thought Alonso would be the first, like he didn't have much to lose right I mean he had quite distance to Verstappen so I thought he would go on Inters straight away um, and of course Verstappen was already <laughs> pulling it out very long on the mediums as well so it was a it was a given that he would go to Inters on the same lap but uh, but I, I was surprised Alonso seeing um, seeing him put on the mediums and then had to go in the lap after and changed to to the actual inters uh, that lost him quite a bit of time which in the end i guess wouldn't have made too much of a difference but um but still quite hard to understand i think in some respects maybe if we're trying to wonder why those decisions were made because there was only a portion of the track that was wet and the rain developed over a very brief period of time initially maybe their expectation was that they were going to be able to have the upper hand with the others that were taking inters while they had mediums. It was a risky decision because coming out of the tunnel, there was definitely dry conditions, but that obviously changed. 
I think once the rain hit and the unpredictability of the situation itself, you really started to see where teams were able to get it right and others not so much. I would say one other driver to mention is Magnussen. He was the last remaining on hards after everybody had switched to inters. So he was still there. You could see him struggling. He actually went into the wall with one turn left before he was trying to pit to be put on. I believe he went to wets. Yeah, he he was the first to go to full wets. That's right. Yeah. And we also saw other situations one being the fact and and another risk, risky strategic decision that actually played out to their advantage was Red Bull with Max because he was in a situation where you could clearly see the graining on his tires themselves. So he was maximizing, <laughs> no pun intended, he was maximizing the length that he could put towards those tires. I think that he had 56 laps before he actually ended up pitting on the, with, that he had, with the medium tires that he had. And they usually last about 43. But in a situation like that, you could the conditions change quite quickly. You could see everybody else was switching to inters and they had chosen to keep him out there obviously with the strategy in mind to see exactly how everybody's decisions were going to play out so that they had more room to make the right decision it's a risky one they're obviously putting the reliance in the driver to be able to perform and and be able to handle what he's doing on the track and of course what better driver than max verstappen but it definitely worked to their advantage because by the time he was able to pit, he was able to come out on inters, and that was the right decision at the end of the day. True. Uh, another team that um, had questionable, you know, uh, when I look at Verstappen and Alonso making these decisions, they were at least the only team members of those teams out there at the front of the race, which makes it, you know, which makes it slightly harder compared to when you have two drivers of the same team who are more or less in the same situation. So I think Ferrari, again, there was not... I think previously they were already not so straightforward on... Well, mostly with signs on on his pitting when um, there was all this going back and forth on the radio. In the end, when he did pit, he was extremely angry about the team just looking to fend off Hamilton, whereas he was trying to focus on overtaking Ocon. And um, and then when the rain started coming down, you saw that, uh, well, actually, Mercedes also did a double stack. So Hamilton and Russell pitted on the same lap uh, to go from their hearts to Inters. And then Ferrari, who were still out there. I mean, at that point, I would have expected Ferrari to, I mean, they know they're not that great at double stacking. So why don't you let one driver take strategy A, for example, Sainz, let him go from from his mediums on the inters on the same lap as Mercedes did and then wait it out a little bit longer with Leclerc. But they're going for the same strategy for both drivers again. And and that I just, I, I, I don't know. When I look at that team, I just see them struggling so much. And, um, you know, you can have struggles. That's, that's all right. And I mean, it, it can't all go right all of the time, but it goes wrong most of the time with them. And... And, and, you know, it's, it's not an internal struggle anymore. It's, it's very much something that goes out into the public. And uh, I, I don't think that's very good for the team. I don't know what the newspapers are going to write in Italy tomorrow, but uh, I doubt whether it's going to be very positive. 
Yeah, I think it's tough on the team. It's tough on the drivers. The unfortunate consistency that we see is the is the questionable strategic decisions that are made time and time again. And I agree. I I don't I question why you would create the same strategic decision for both drivers because no matter what if it's a, if the, if it's going to go wrong, then it's going to go wrong for both of them. And that was really unfortunate to see both of them still on mediums and then being forced to pit. So I hope that things turn around. I, I really do. But right now, it's tough. It's tough to see to see where Ferrari's at right now. Now, mind you, let's not forget. On a positive note, they did finish within the top ten. Both drivers earned points, so we can give them credit there. And going into qualifying, even in Q2, they were both really strong. They seem to do well typically during qualifying. Where they really seem to struggle is always on Sundays. And so let's hope that maybe things are going to be a lot more bright in the future. But I don't know. Yeah. It's a very big question. And they did finish in point positions. But I think that if you look at all the races so far in this season and you analyze a little bit how the cars are performing in the different types of corners and you will see actually that in the slow corners ferrari was doing really really good so i think they should set the bar a little bit higher than finishing sixth and eighth and i think they do set the bar higher they just don't <laughs> they don't manage to really reach there yeah and a lot of things play a part in in those results strategy driver's frustrations i think that signs the the decisions that he had made as well some of his frustration came out on the track so all in all as a whole ferrari is definitely struggling and isn't at the tier that we are so used to seeing them at in terms of history so my fingers are crossed for them i i hope for a bright future we still have a lot more races left on the calendar but time's really going to tell where they end up yeah No, so do I. I would like to see them do a lot better and I would like to see them challenge Red Bull for race wins. It's just not really happening. But uh, but yeah, let's hope for a a turnaround and and let's hope that uh, the same happens for Mercedes with their new concept. What did you think of um, of uh, Russell's five second penalty when he um, I think it was him and Stroll that went off and then he he got back on track and um, and hit bear. I wasn't really 100% sure whether he got the penalty actually for that or or was it for rejoining out of the pits? I think it was rejoining out of that runoff area, right, where he hit Perez or Perez hit him. But I guess Russell got the penalty, so I guess it was yeah, his I'm, fault. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was, it was from rejoining the track and then colliding with Perez. And Russell... He, there was a few moments, if you, what did you think towards the end of the race where he was mentioning on the radio where he wanted to do team orders to get an advantage? Because he was handed a five second penalty. And I believe at the time when he was asking for team orders, it was trying to maximize as much distance as he had against Leclerc. So his position wouldn't change. But what were your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I guess by now we know that Russell comes on the radio and asks for these things, which I kind of understand because you are right. Uh, he did have that five-second penalty. So if he would have jumped Hamilton, uh, Hamilton might have still finished fourth with Russell behind him with Russell's penalty. But then he 
uh, well, in the end, he did manage to stay in front of Leclerc, so it wasn't. But he was talking about being able to uh, to challenge for Ocon, which with his five second penalty wouldn't have happened anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's you know from his perspective, I can understand that he comes on the radio and asks for it. But uh, but Hamilton was in basically the same situation, so yeah, that wasn't really gonna. I don't think it would have been very. Uh, nice to see team orders there. Then again, yeah, I guess at some sometimes they're hard to avoid team orders, aren't they? I don't like them, but uh, but yeah, yeah. And Hamilton did end up taking fastest lap. I think that initially when Russell was asking that he was he was doing a little bit better than Hamilton, but that quickly changed because during that time the track was drying in a in a rapid pace. So it gave Hamilton and any other driver the ability to pick up the pace, which he did. So although maybe it would have made sense to benefit Russell at the time, yeah, I agree. I I'm not a fan of team orders. I much rather would just like them to race and see where everybody ends up. So who we did see racing was uh, the McLarens overtaking Tsunoda and finishing both in point scoring positions. Right. It was really great to see McLaren be able to get into the top 10, get into points. That was that was a solid result for Piastri as well. I think overall he had a really great weekend. We've touched on Norris doing potentially could have done even better, really, with his result when you think about it, if he ended up higher in qualifying without that incident. But overall, it was really great to see them in finishing the top 10 they're able to earn some points, much needed. And unfortunately for Sonoda, I mean, they obviously capitalized on his situation with his brakes. He was doing so well for this weekend and didn't end up that way at the end of the at the end of Sunday's race. But again, very great to see McLaren up there. Yeah, yeah, it it, it was good to see them. And it, what was funny actually was that Norris, I think he came on the or his engineer came on the radio very much in the beginning of the race saying that they were expecting some rain in lap 35 which didn't come at all and then when the rain was actually getting pretty close to the track he pitted to go from mediums to hards like at around lap 50 or so and then you know that was just before the rain was actually coming and he had to go back into the pits again getting in there so that was a slightly strange call from their team but uh, but yeah i agree with you it was great to see ps3 score points and um, and yeah the two of them being so close like what you said earlier during training norris was way ahead of uh, ps3 it didn't really you know uh, of course f2 drivers also have some experience at monaco but um but yeah, uh, I felt for him at the beginning of the weekend because I thought that it's going to be very hard to compete to uh, to somebody that is very very good at Monaco. But in the end, uh, finishing so close together, yeah, it was uh, quite a bit of a surprise, and it shows again uh, the amount of talent that Piastri has. Absolutely, he was the only rookie driver to finish in the top ten, and I think that that definitely is something to mention because, like you said, I mean the skill to drive not only in Monaco but in those conditions towards the end of the race. You have cars that are struggling; they're 
attempting to apply power on the track. They know that it's a slower situation, that it's already a slow track. They're already having to drive slower. They have to maintain the warmth in the tires and slippery conditions. You have everything else that we've already discussed. So the fact that he comes in as a rookie, he finishes in the top 10, that's impressive. True. So do you have any other things that you want to talk about regarding the race, Sam? Yeah, I think that the two really great things that we should mention are number one, Esteban Ocon and his fantastic finish. He managed to secure a podium and it was a big win for Ocon, but not only for Ocon, but for Alpine. And they've had a little bit of a rough road this season so far. They We discussed in the last podcast that they had faced some criticism from the Alpine CEO, Laurent Rossi. And Gasly also finished in the top 10, which was great. So they, they earned points for both drivers. But Ocon's drive overall and weekend in itself was, I thought, really impressive as well. In the race alone, he was under pressure from Ferrari. He obviously had signs hot on his heels. And then towards the end of the race, he also had Mercedes. But the fact that he was able to finish the race with no mistakes whatsoever, weather the storm, and come out still in third was really, really great. So I definitely think it's important to mention his success. And also, he ended up getting driver of the day. No, I really applaud his uh, performance. It was really good. He wasn't, he wasn't, it wasn't even that much of a lucky race. He was kind of unlucky at some points with signs touching him from behind. And his, his pit stop was also uh, pretty slow, like a 4.2 pit stop on lap 33. That was not uh, really helping him. And um, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, he fended off Hamilton pretty well, keeping it at uh, one and a half, two and a half seconds towards the end of the race. And uh, definitely deserving that podium. And uh, yeah, I mean, good race and uh, good qualifying. And yeah, these two things together, well, they score you 15 points. Absolutely. And we also have two other drivers who are on the podium that have achieved some nice results. Alonso, this is his fifth podium out of six races. That is amazing. And when it comes to Verstappen, he now has secured most the most wins out of any Red Bull driver. I'm not surprised given, given the uh, success that he's had over the several years, but that's definitely an accolade. I think that also to mention when it comes to his drive itself, the fact that he battled a rainstorm, he hit the barriers, he went through a situation where he had to maximize, again, I say maximize, the, no pun intended, but he had to just stretch those tires, those medium tires to the absolute limit at 56 laps. Overall, again, the weekend, coming under a high-pressure situation, managing to secure pole, and then taking the win in the way that he did was definitely a very successful weekend for him and for Red Bull, obviously. Maybe not so much for Perez, <laughs> but for Max, it was just an it was it was another podium for this season. He strengthens his lead in the championship itself. And I don't know at this point who can really compete with him continuing on throughout the season. I mean, it's it's still we still have a lot of races, but he just seems unstoppable at this point. Yeah, great achievement from all three on the podium. And um, can't agree with you more. I think it was a tremendous race from Verstappen. And I would have loved to see Alonso take it. Uh, but uh, I guess it's also uh, it's also kind of nice 
building up towards uh, you know Alonso taking all these P3s and a P4 and now a P2 and I guess we're all wondering if he if he can we all know he has it in him but um, yeah he's at the he's at the hands of uh, of Red Bull for seeing whether he can uh, well let's hope uh, that he can do it in his home race uh, next week that would be very uh, true but it seems like we're gonna say this on every podcast and 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 hope for Alonso to win the next one. But uh, but yeah, I mean uh, that also is a is some sort of a climax in itself. Uh, let's hope that it actually you know ends up happening. But uh, yeah, I don't want to jinx anything either. Well, here's a question for you. So, do you think what do you think the chances are that Alonso possibly stays through to 2026? Because it was just announced this week that. Aston Martin is going to be changing their power unit from Mercedes to Honda going into 2026. So do you think he's going to be there? I don't know. I mean, I would love to say yes, but then again, it's, it's also, it's a bit of a stretch. It's 26 is still some time away. And I also, it's hard to tell, you know, it's in that team with uh, one seat basically given away. It's, it's difficult to tell because I could also imagine um, Honda wanting to see uh, Yuki in that seat, for example. I mean, in a couple of years, she's going to have a bit more experience. And yeah, I don't know. If, I would love to see Alonso race still at that time. But um, um, well, let's let's just say I would really love to see it. But uh, but I'm not I'm not counting on it. Well, we'll see. <laughs> so I think that wraps up the race coverage. If there's anything else that you wanted to add, Anton. No, that's 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 it for my part too. All right, so let's get into scores. Right, so in this section we usually do a lot of uh, quiz questions. And I want to start with the first one with you, which is um, how many pit stops did Paris have this race? Three? Uh-uh. Okay. How many pit stops did he have? It was five. Five pit stops? Yeah, really. Oh, my goodness. Well, I clearly did not pay attention to that. Um, but that is, that's a lot. Yeah, I've, I've written it down. He, he started on the mediums, he went to the hards, and then he went back onto mediums. Then he went to inters, then like three or four laps later, he went to full wets and he also went back still to inters. So yeah, five in total. Wow. They were busy in Red Bull garage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess at some point they were just doing pit stop practice. I, I do remember when they were switching at the end of the race, when they went to wets, I was wondering if they were doing that to test out the longevity of the tires and see how they fared, being as the fact that he was at the end anyways, he wasn't really going to make any advancements. I mean, if, you, if you're going to test out the tires and you're going to see also the effectiveness and how you would implement maybe the strategy for Max going in towards the end of the race, that would be the, the right time to do it. when you're drive when you're unfortunately your second driver isn't able to really gain much of an advantage it's actually funny to see that given the difficulty of the track and also the weather that was quite changeable that we only had one real dnf oh no we had two i think magnuson also stopped right so straw and magnuson and Sargent actually he he retired right at the end of the race so there were three retirements 
Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. But still, that that isn't a whole lot. But I guess that's already three more than we had uh, in Miami. Well, and considering the considering the changes in the weather and the amount of risk and that was in place at the end of the race, it's actually really it attributes towards the skill of these drivers themselves and and the fact that they were able to manage through everything that was thrown at them and still be able to come out without a DNF, majority of the track itself. True, right. All right, so let's really go to scores now. So we had 424 people playing the game this weekend. Uh, I thought at first 423, but there was actually somebody that uh, sent me a, a private message with his picks way before the deadline, so I missed that. So 424 players, and we had the lowest average score so far this season with 38.0. Uh, being the average so that's uh, yeah that's pretty low which i guess is mostly a result of uh, having somebody on the podium that was very unpredictable so um, yeah of course uh, almost everybody missed out that 15 points for for ocon we're gonna see how many people or if any people actually had that predicted but we get later to to that so um, so let's look at our uh, podium places for this weekend and um, we had on P1 from Turkey, Abdullah Emre. He scored 70.5 points. Getting right for Stappen on P1, Alonso on P2. He had Hamilton on P3, so he still scored six points for that. He had Perez on P4, so no points there. He had a correct P5, which was Russell. Correct P6, which was Leclerc. He then had Sainz, who still scored some points points for Sainz, who finished 8th. He had uh, Hülkenberg on 8th, Gasly on ninth, so scored 1.5 points for that, and the P10, Joe, so no points for that. So getting to 70.5 points, which was the highest of this weekend. Very nice. And then we had a shared P2, so there were two people that got 68 points. Those were Kenzo Schurwegs from Belgium and Nathan Bessier from France. So both of them also had P1 and P2 correct. Kenzo also had Hamilton on P4, and uh, he actually had uh, Norris on P9 correct. Um, Nathan had um, a correct P1, correct P2, Hamilton on P4. He had Gasly on P7 and Norris on P9, and uh, the two of them also scored couple of other points for people getting drivers close to the right place. So yeah, 68 points, share P2, well done. Well done indeed. So now I think I asked you previously as well, how many people predicted the correct podium? Oh boy, I did so well last time. Uh, okay, <laughs> there's my sarcasm. I'm going to say 32. Wait, I take it back. Hold on. I take it back. <laughs> I take it back because Ocon managed to hit the podium. And to be honest, I don't think a lot of people would have decided that. So I'm going to say two. No one predicted the podium correct. Wow. Oh, yeah. my goodness. There, I, to be honest, I'm not that surprised because, again, if you were picking Oh, I wouldn't have thought that, and obviously nobody else did. It was a very pleasant surprise to see him manage to get on the podium for everybody, yeah, you, apparently. No, I agree. And and you can also imagine that, let's say, you do put Ocon on P3, which is 
kind of a stretch. You're probably going to put P1 Verstappen, P2 Paris, I would suppose. Well, I don't know. Could have been Alonso. But yeah, nobody got that right. So, um, so then rather than getting the full podium right, how many people do you think had the combination of a P1 Verstappen and a P2 Alonso? I think there were quite a few people that would have had that. I was one of them. <laughs> so actually, so are you, because our picks were very, very close uh, after I saw the results. But I'm going to say out of but, 424... But, 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 oh, ho, ho, ho. Uh, neither of us got uh, Alonso on P2. We put Leclerc on P2. Oh, right. Yes. Yes, that's true. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I am... <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> would have been a nice score for us. Uh, well, we're going to look at score. we're going to look at how many points the both of us scored later. But uh, but yeah, so we yeah. we we're not included in that. But uh, but yeah, no, okay. Aren't. Back to the question. Okay. So P one for stopping P two Alonso. I'm going to say two. I'm going to say 150 people. No, it's not that many. It was 36 people. Okay. So uh, in the end, a lot of people were. Betting on Perez doing very well, either having him on P1 or on P2. So, yeah, there was a lot of P1 for stop and P2 Perez. So there were only 36 people that had uh, P1 for stop and P2 Alonso. So had Hamilton overtaken Ocon, so let's say the podium would have been Verstappen, Alonso, Hamilton. How many people do you think would have gotten that right? So there were 36 people who had Verstappen and Alonso on P1 and P2. How many of those also had Hamilton in P3? I'm going to say 15. Only four. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess a lot of people who had P1, Verstappen, P2, Alonso had Perez on, on P3, I, I'm, I'm supposing. So given that the scores were relatively low for this weekend... Not a lot of people made it into the high scores. Actually, nobody made it into the worldwide high scores. And there was only one person who made it into the high scores of his continent. So that was Hussein Mansour from South Africa, who finished P4 this weekend. And with that, he made it into P18 of the African high scores. Other than that, no new high scores for this uh, for this weekend. So... What we talked about last time out is that we would also look at the scores that both you and I uh, achieve each race weekend. So I don't know if you actually already looked at it. Do you know where you ended up? Yes, I believe I was 38.5. So I hit the average this week. Yeah, you, you did beat me this weekend. So Did I? Yeah, you did. I scored only 30, 34 points. Not by much, though, because, again, we... Not that we intended it, but our picks were very, very similar this week. So I knew that even if one of us was ahead, it wasn't going to be by much. <laughs> yeah, true. No, they were very similar indeed. And um, and um, did you actually see you, you scored the same amount of points as your mom? Did I really? Yeah, she also scored 38. Well, I don't know the decimal. I know she scored 38 points. Okay, so I have to know because I don't know, obviously, being blind going into this. What was her top three? All right, so let me have a look. She had Verstappen, Perez, Leclerc on the podium. So she only got points for Verstappen. Well, she did score a single point for for Leclerc there, uh, being three spots away. She did score points for Hamilton and Russell, and she had Piastri on P9, actually, so got a half point for that. 
But uh, yeah, I see now she has 37 and a half points. So technically that's half a point less than you have. Very close though. And yeah, kudos kudos to, to her when it comes to assuming that Piastri or, or hoping that Piastri would get into P9. I like it. Me too. So do you know <laughs> where you stand actually on the total ranking for like the worldwide ranking? Do you know which position you're in? Oh, wow. We just really want to cut me open today, don't we? Because <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I know it's not, I know it's not high. I have no idea. After, after this race, I have no idea where I stand. Okay, take a, take a guess. Wild guess. I can't remember. Okay, last, I have to try to remember where I was last week. Last week, I think I was in the top 200. <laughs> Like I think it was maybe like a hundred between 150 and 180, but judging by where I landed, I'm gonna say maybe I think I fell into the two. So maybe 210. Well, mind you that actually your score 38.0 is also the exact average this weekend. So you're well, I don't yeah. want to say I don't want to say your average, but. Uh, <laughs> that's quite interesting actually getting that no you're in p151 oh okay i'll take that <laughs> yeah that's, that's 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 not bad at all i'm i'm currently uh, in a shared p99 together with another dutch guy okay very nice yeah so but you gained a little bit on me this weekend which is uh good for you uh, yeah well you know i'll i'll make my baby steps but hopefully, hopefully I'll make a giant leap in Barcelona. Let's see. Yeah, I think at this point you should aim to get into the first 100 positions as quick as you can. I think you'll, uh, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll get there. <laughs> yeah, small gains. Yeah. So, um, so looking at the standings, we had uh, for the last two races, well, two races ago in Baku, Tobias Jolie from France made it to P1 and he stayed in P1 for Miami. He had a 36-point lead to Diana, who was in P2. So Tobias is still in P1. He scored 38 points, just like you did. And um, his lead, though, is now only 18.4 points. So not to Diana, because actually um, she went from P2 to P3. She scored 52 points this weekend. Um so, uh, so yeah, she lost a spot to my cousin, actually, Chip Kohofker. He's now in P2. I think he was in P4 prior to this. And, uh, yeah, he scored 61 points in, um, in this Monaco weekend. He, uh, he landed on a P13 overall. So that's a really good score. And that took him to P2. So he's only 18.4 points away from Tobias. And, uh, yeah. Uh, Chip Canal is 370.6 points. Very nice. So let's go into our regular quiz where I ask you how many people actually correctly predicted all the different positions. So let's start with P1 for stopping. And um, yeah, how many people had P1 for stopping in their picks? I think quite a few. I'm going to say 310. Yeah, well, actually, so in Miami, it was 318. So you're sticking very close to that. But it's interesting. There were a lot fewer people this time who predicted P1 for stopping. It was only 210 people. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, there was actually 88 people who had Perez on the P1, and uh, there were 64 who had uh, Alonso. And <laughs> how many people uh, went for a home win for Leclerc, do you think? I'm going to say 40. Yeah, you get it close. Um, it's it's it was. I'm trying 54. to do quick math here. Fifty-four. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's quite a lot. Then there were uh, five people who had the P1 Hamilton and three people who had the P1 for Carlos Sainz. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So from P1 for stop and we go to P2 Alonso. We already concluded that there were thirty-six people who had the combination of the two of. Verstappen in P1 and Alonso in P2. How many people had Alonso P2 standalone? <laughs> I have to really think about this one. Uh, my numbers are starting to jumble in my brain because I'm trying to do process by elimination mathematically. That's not going to help. So, okay. 60. You got it right. <laughs> not, <laughs> you just swore. <laughs> yeah, I'm not supposed to. Are I know. we going to add that onto the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. my god i actually got that right yeah yeah that's the that's the, wow. that's the first one you get right that's really really ding, good ding, ding. <laughs> nice 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 no i'm 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 very glad you did yeah <laughs> 60 people great wow um yeah so uh, <laughs> with me swearing <laughs> let's, keep let's going. move on yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna say the same thing let's go um, i'm on a roll i'm yeah, gonna guess yeah, yeah. i'm gonna make some lottery picks this week all right, all right. Yeah, well, <laughs> then, then, then tell me, how many people predicted P3 Ocon? Well, I'm going to say nobody. Oh, because... you got two in a row. Nice. Yeah, well, well, okay, all right. You're on a roll. Hold on. But, but I will say, we had already mentioned, you had mentioned that nobody had the correct podium, which means if nobody had the correct podium, then clearly nobody chose Ocon in P3. So that yeah, was an easy guess. Been, there could have been people who had him in P3, but had... Perez on P2. Oh, I guess that fair point. Fair point. So I'll take that win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's very good. Two in a row. Well, let's see. If right. you, let's see if you can get any of the other ones. Um, uh, Hamilton P4. <laughs> now I feel pressure. Yeah, I know. Right. But I feel like I'm in qualifying on with on the last lap. I have to make this decision. OK. Um, <laughs> OK, 35. 64. Okay, well, we can't win them all. <laughs> yeah, no, true. So uh, Russell finished behind Hamilton on P five. Mm -hmm. How many people? How many people went with that? I'm going to say forty two. Sixty one. Okay. Yeah. So, so kind of the same in in terms of numbers, roughly when it comes to Mercedes and where they ended up, which. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be honest, is a fair estimation, I would think, given where they're at for the season. It's roughly where I was placing them as well. So. True. I think I had them P6, P7, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, and I think you did too, didn't you? I sure did. Yeah, with that, that was one of the picks that we had that were similar. Yeah, true. So uh, Leclerc finished in P6. How many people had him down there P6? 21. Oh, yeah, you got close again. 23. How close? Oh, <laughs> yeah, but that's solid. Yeah, so um, we move from Leclerc to Gasly. Gasly finished P7. So, yeah, go ahead. Let me know. <laughs> 27. Oh, you, you're staying close. It's, that's 21, actually. No way. Okay. Uh, 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 yeah. So, um, Science P8. 
Uh, I don't know. This one's going to be tough. I don't think a lot of people would have picked him this far down the grid. I'm going to say 16. Wow, you're doing a good job this uh, this really? series. It's it's yeah, it's 14, one four. I wish I could translate this same. I, I said this last podcast. I wish I could translate this same mentality into my picks every every week. Yeah, don't work that way, unfortunately. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so, what's next? So uh, Norris is next. The two McLarens are next. Ooh. So. Okay. Yeah, P9 Norris. All right. So P9 Norris, I'm going to say quite a, well, let's stick to the 30s and say 36. There were actually 60 people, which, which wow. surprises me too. But um, yeah. You know what? I, I, I could see that. I could see that because again, he's one of those drivers that if you're going to, if you're going to pick him in the top 10 lately, or historically over this season, you're choosing him towards the bottom part of the top 10. And historically as well, he does well in Monaco. So I think that it would be a safe bet to put him there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good thinking. And it well, was. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> um, so uh, final point finishing position was for Piastri and the other McLaren. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to say 12. No way. Don't tell me I'm right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Am I really? Yeah. What is happening right now? <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. So it's, I mean, you've never gotten any of them right, and you get three right in the in the in one go. Oh my goodness! I'm not kidding. I'm gonna go buy a lottery ticket and pick numbers. If yeah, I well, win I the think lottery, you probably already ran out of luck. <laughs> Don't say that. If I win the lottery, <laughs> I'll tell you what. We'll all go. Well, not all. I'm not. I'm not treating everybody, but but we'll definitely go to as many of the races as we can for the rest of the season. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not a big fan of lottery as a concept, so let me just uh, refresh from commenting. But we're not. <laughs> we're, we're not yet done because we have the fastest lap point. Oh right, right. So and that, that was, was Lewis. That was Lewis. That was Lewis. Yeah. Actually, he said it very early on in the race, and nobody could. Uh, Set another faster lap with the with the watery conditions around the track. So, how many mm -hmm. people went for a Hamilton fastest lap? What do you think? If you get this one right as well, I'll I'll I don't know. I'll treat you to dinner one time. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna say. I I'm glad I didn't say that before we started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, now I I feel like I'm gonna overthink this now because of the pressure. Okay. Take your time. Take your time. Mm, Twenty-three. Okay. All right. No, I was going to ask you <laughs> where more or less. You... What were you going to say? No, I was going to ask you ballpark. Give me a range first, and then then move into. But you went oh. to what do you say? Twenty? How many? I said twenty-three. I said twenty-three. <laughs> From my enthusiasm, you can already hear that it's not correct. It's it was only <laughs> <laughs> it was only eight people. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's I would have never. I would have never. Th thought that to be honest with you so no i actually would have thought that more people would have picked him potentially for fastest lap but then again maybe not i mean it, again mercedes <laughs> was introducing a new upgrade this weekend anything was on the table so maybe it was more of a risky choice to choose him as a driver that would achieve fastest lap true well, if I'm honest, I usually just go with Verstappen anyway. But um, but actually, there's quite a there's usually quite a spread with the fastest lap. Uh, so um, mm -hmm. so yeah, 
uh, eight people got that as a bonus point. So that was the quiz for Monaco. And um, I guess it's time to look ahead. Um, not too far ahead because the Barcelona race is going to be very, very soon. That's true. Next week, we're back to back again. So Barcelona next week, very excited. Anything that you're looking forward to outside of obviously the race, of course, but anything that you're looking forward to at this track? Good question. I think it will be good, like we were already talking about, it will be good to see how Mercedes is going to do on a track like this. Because, um, I don't know, it's kind of hard to judge. I mean, they had a pretty decent weekend, but also nothing extraordinary. So, yeah, it would be um, that, that would be one of my main focuses to see whether they will be able to really uh, challenge a bit further to get to get to podium positions. I agree. I think Mercedes and a few other teams like McLaren, even Alpine, because they've been consistent in quite a few upgrades over the last several races. Ferrari has had upgrades as well recently. So Barcelona is really going to give them all an opportunity to stretch their legs more. So I'll, I'm looking forward to seeing how they fare. Right. Well, the only other heads up that I want to give to those that play Forecast F1 is that um, right after the race, I'm going to be on a flight, so scores will probably be out slightly later. And so will the podcast. I guess we still got to make a plan on how we're going to record that next week, but uh, I'm sure we'll figure something out. Right. Anton, do you want to say where you're on a flight to? Right. So I'll be flying to Toronto, and <laughs> that will be as a preparation to go to the Montreal Grand Prix together with you, Sam, to... Well, actually, together with quite a few other people who are playing Forecast. So that's going to be really that's exciting. Right. And, um, that's right. Yeah, well, I guess we're all really looking forward to that. But, uh, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's look forward to Barcelona first, because I think that will also be a very exciting weekend. I'm very much looking forward to that. Agreed. I'm very much looking forward to Barcelona. But, I mean, I will get ahead of myself and say I'm very much looking forward to... Uh, being at the Grand Prix in Montreal, and actually, we just had we had to pause the podcast briefly <laughs> during our recording session to buy tickets for the uh, pit lane walk, and so that just added even more to my excitement. I'm looking forward to it all. So yes, you'll be on a plane, and we'll actually be able to once we get to that point. Um, who knows? Record the podcast physically in the same room, which would be which would be quite interesting. <laughs> True. Yeah. Maybe we can already work around to find a way to do that for uh, for Barcelona. But let's see. Uh, let's <laughs> let's see how we do that, how we get around. Fair it. point. Yeah, that's right. I guess so. Yeah. So, uh, well, let's all think about um, predictions uh, that we're going to make uh, for the Spanish Grand Prix. And um, yeah, I'll be thinking about it during this week. What about you? Of course. Of course. Like I said, I'm going to try to infuse the energy and... Uh, and my luck that I've had with these guesses today and into my picks for next week, although I'm not that optimistic because <laughs> recently I haven't done so well, but you never know. And I would, I would love to, you mentioned this earlier, but it would be really awesome to see Alonso win in Barcelona. That would be, that would be something, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, it would be. Frankly, I'm hoping he saves it for Montreal, but uh, it would for himself, <laughs> it would be uh, amazing to get that win in, in Spain. I think his last win is actually in Spain, isn't it? Am I right? I might be wrong, actually. You're going to have to go back and check that because my memory would not be able to tell you that right now off the top of my head. But... Uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be really, really great to see regardless in Barcelona. And then, yeah, we'll be able to see all drivers. Uh, now I'm really thinking about it. I think the, the last pull that he got was Germany 2012, right? And I think the last win was, was in 2012, but actually the, it, it wasn't a win in Spain because Maldonado won 2012 Spain. Okay. Well, uh, I'll, I'll. <laughs> Whenever we get to that win of Alonso, we'll mention what his last win was and how much time uh, between the two wins. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Well, I guess uh, we see each other next week. That's it. We do. And uh, we will talk to you all next week. (laughs) All right. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.